You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Track FM's local watering hole. We're coming at you all the way from Black Spire Outpost here on the Outer Rim. And with me, as she is every single week, that blue milk fiend, Christy Morris. Hello. Yeah, I just had, uh, well, or maybe it was green milk I just had. Oh, that's... Isn't that ooh, right? How was the green milk? It it was it wasn't bad, you know, for moof juice. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I... I, ever since you know the the last Jedi and just watching how you get green milk, I just have no interest in it. Honestly, <laughs> so. it doesn't whet your appetite. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. It doesn't. You know, sea cow. You know, milking just doesn't. It's not my thing. So yeah. Well, mm. at least we got this from the cantina. Yeah, it's so true. Um, well, we're so excited to be here. We're going to be talking about a brand new Star Wars book that just came out. Uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, A Crash of Fate, uh, as, you know, the Disney publishing arm has also been celebrating the fact that Galaxy's Edge is now open in both Florida and in California. So uh, we're going to talk about that. And um, before we do that, just a quick reminder to everybody, we want to thank everybody who's been giving us star ratings and reviews over there on iTunes. Help us out. Give us one. Um, let us know what you think of the show. Help other people find the show. If you do, you'll get a shout out here on the show as well. Um, of course, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on pretty much every single platform, plus any podcatcher just type the 602 club and subscribe there and that way you'll get the episode as soon as it drops you can get find us on twitter at track fm facebook at facebook.com slash track fm and then we've got the listeners only discussion group there on facebook it's called the babel conference two ways to get there facebook just type babel into the search field or any of the show pages on track fm click discussion on the menu bar you can also send us an email Go to trek.fm slash contact. Choose a show and choose the 602 Club, and that'll come to us. Uh, and we want to thank, uh, just uh, switching things up, you know, really appreciate our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Mellette, and Daniel Noah for their support of the show through Patreon. Um, these guys uh, have been supporting the network for a long time, and they uh, have chosen the 602 Club as one of their perks to be associate producers through uh, through Patreon. Now, we have a very large network here, and honestly, uh, we need your help. Uh, Patreon is the way that you can support the network uh, and be part of our team. You are the people who make sure that each of the shows come out to you each and every week. There are so many shows. There's a show almost every single day. In fact, I think there is a show every single day. And more shows coming to you as more things are coming on the network uh, Star Trek-wise, too. So if you want to make sure that all of this does come to you, again, it's patreon.com slash trekfm. We've got some great contribution levels where you can get extra perks. Um, but honestly, in the end, every little bit helps. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. So, uh, Christy, one of the things, you know, I mentioned right at the top is the fact Galaxy's Edge is open. Um, so yeah. for 
we even get to the book. Have you been to Galaxy's Edge yet? No, I haven't. And I've seen several of my friends have, so I'm very jealous. Uh, But Michael and I are going to be going uh, next August when we're in Anaheim to Disneyland to see that Galaxy's Edge park. Yes, yes. That's my plan as well, obviously, because, you know, celebration and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's living in Washington. You know, I'm not close to anything. I mean, L.A. is not awful to get to. um, You're closer than I am. Yeah, it's it's definitely not <laughs> bad. Um, but you know, I, then still you have to find a place to stay and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it gets very expensive very quickly. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to go and and honestly, you know, heard good things from everybody that I know that's been there. From you know, friend John Mills from Aggressive Negotiations, and then we have a bunch of friends who've already been. You know, uh, William and Aaron, and I mean, everybody has said it's been great. So that's really exciting. Yeah, I've only heard really awesome things about it, especially about Savvy's workshop. Um, So I would love to be able to build a lightsaber and, you know, see all the stuff at the cantina. And it it just looks like a really cool place to visit. So yeah. So, you know, for the, the book series, you know, the whole point of this is to celebrate a whole new world. And that's the reason that these books kind of exist is to kind of help introduce Batu and the Black Spire Outpost. And now, you know, the the Thrawn books have also done that because um, the second one alliances took place specifically on Batu as well. And so it's not the only place. And then they've been doing comics, too. But I, I wanted to ask for you, you know, so how do you feel like, you know, if, if one of the main points of the book is to tell a story around this new experience of Star Wars and a planet that kind of they're they're definitely trying to get you uh, introduced to. How do you feel like the book does in on that front? I, I definitely think that this book does a great job at describing the planet of Batuu. Um, I feel like sometimes they overuse um, the like planet name and the word spire or spires. Um, But I think that they do a great job of depicting what it looks like that, that lived in feel that we like, you know, about star Wars. Um, It really seems to me in my mind, I pictured it a lot like Tatooine um, because it's saying, you know, that it's got these markets and um, smuggler areas and like back alleys and then the cantina and then, you know, that it seems like there's other areas that are more desolate and spread out. Mm -hmm. Um, And when they talk about like swimming in the cave pools or something like that. Um, So I, so I picture it in my mind, at least a lot like tattooing. um, And that helps me kind of figure out the layout of where everything is. But that's something I enjoyed the most about this book actually is this the setting yeah you know i I think it's interesting because uh and and one of the things you know kind of knowing just the map of batu uh that you know of of the actual land uh Mm -hmm. what was interesting to me in this book is that i felt like it didn't feel uh confined in the sense that you know star wars land (laughs) galaxy's edge can only be so big Right. It right. can't be an entire planet. And so therefore, you're going to only get a representation of that at, at you know, either of the theme parks. And so I felt like the book didn't make itself feel like it had to constrain itself only by what you can see in the land. It made it feel yeah. like Batu is a bigger place than just 
what you would get there. In fact, it kind of reminded me a little bit more of like the size of Lothal and the city there, you know, and Rebels, you know, where it's like they describe all of the major uh, places that you can go, you know, uh, at the theme park. But then there's other places, you know, and, and the place just felt larger than what you get at, you know, when you visit the park. Um, because in a book, you're not constrained by that. This is an entire planet, you know. And so mm-hmm. I I appreciated that part about it um, and, and was glad to see that. And I think for the most part, you know, um, the descriptions do a pretty good job of, of, you know, bringing the place to life. I would say one of the things um, in, in all of the Star Wars books recently that I, I don't know if it's just because so much of the time we're familiar with Star Wars things. But, you know, I felt like this book could have had even more descriptiveness to it, you know, to yes. really, you know, make you feel like you understood the layout of the workshops that you went in or the cantina that you went in and all of that kind of stuff. And I feel like they didn't do as much of that as I would have liked. And and part of that is just that, you know, when you're reading a story, you know, you like you said, immediately you think cantina, uh, whatever, you know, you start to think about Tatooine and you just kind of fill in the details. But... You know, I I want Batu to feel like its own place, and so there were certain places where I felt like it it felt more real when they were actually outside of the city than when they were inside the city, because they were explaining the landscape and what things look like with these spires and you know, um, like you were mentioning, um, you know, they have these pools and stuff, and like it made it feel like a very different place than Tatooine. And then you know, mm-hmm. when I was in the city part in Black Spire, it just it it didn't feel as unique as I wanted it to. And part of that is I think you're they weren't spending enough time, um, truly bringing the place to life in the way that I would hope that you would descriptively right like maybe uh, to your point they're saying you know it's like the cities that you've seen before instead of saying it's similar but it's its own thing and here's how it's different so i i agree they could have gone that route more because there's a there's a star wars language that we use when we kind of describe certain things you know and and we i think a lot of times the authors lean heavily on that um one of the knocks I have against even the new Thrawn books is the fact that like the the new aliens, the Grisks, like, don't really have a good understanding of what they look like because they've never actually fully been described. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if part of that is just they don't want to describe too much because they don't want to be locked into anything just in case they ever use them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, they want to be able to create what they want to create at that point. But at the same time, it's kind of frustrating, you know. Like, it's just this... So I felt like Black Spire Outpost it was a little bit like that because, two, you know, you can't just assume that everybody's seen the pictures of Galaxy's Edge as well. Right. You can't ex- I mean, I would say a majority of the people probably reading these books might not have been to Galaxy's Edge yet. So I feel like the whole point of the this story and then and the next one that's coming out, Black Spire... Uh, is that you really want to bring it to life in a way that people are like, oh, I have to go to this place. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. know if, for me at least, that they did that. 
Yeah. And, and I think too, especially with books, you're automatically wanting your reader to be picturing it for themselves. And I think that that's part of the joy that you can find in a really great book is getting enough descriptiveness of the environment. And I do think that one thing that was lacking with this was even talking about the climate of Batu. I mean, you can say to me whether it's a, a desert planet or a mountainous planet. I mean, there's even one point in this book where they talk about a planet covered completely in snow and ice and you're going, oh, it's probably Hoth. Um, but, but it feels like we don't really get that talking about Batu. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I didn't actually think about that. But I mean, obviously, this planet has, you know, water because they go to those pools you know, so an idea of like how much it rains there and those kind of things. We know that mm-hmm. it has trees because they mention there being trees, you know, um, and they don't seem to be super tall trees. So, you know, this this seems to be a slightly more arid environment. But, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm but yeah, I'm just there's some gaps. To, yeah. So, I mean, you know, overall, I, I think that they did a pretty good job, but I, I would have liked a little bit more. I agree. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, there is a really neat map if you were to buy the book from um, the uh, the Black Spire book that's coming. Uh, if you buy that at Barnes & Noble, there's an exclusive edition that comes with a map of uh, Black Spire Outpost, which is cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I was excited to see all of the, like, drawings and depictions of what it's going to look like. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think that's the main thing I was thinking when I was reading this. It's like you, I so I'm a fan, but I haven't got a chance to go. So you know, make me feel like I'm there. And yeah, and sometimes I felt like I was there more than others. And so I just it, it could. I feel like that really could have done a little bit different. But in the end, too, this book is very much a story about our main characters and their kind of coming back together um and it's Jules and Izzy and so you know this is really a, a love story about two kids having been separated for years and coming back together and finding out that they still have feelings for one another um mm-hmm. so you know it is I would say in many ways it's about as rom-com-ish as it can get in Star Wars um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it. it's a good place to start when you're looking for a great groundwork story to tell, because I think that a lot of, unfortunately, rom-coms, <laughs> but good stories, too, um, have gone that route of, yeah, they grew up together, and it was always just the kid next door, and then now they're adults, and they're realizing that it's more than just friendship and whatever. Um, so I, I think that, that you have a lot to go from doing that. Um, but then there was this really great peripheral story to that about how their families were involved in this and about how Izzy's family is not actually from Batu and why they ended up leaving. And, you know, it, those kind of things. Family drama is a really strong storyteller. And then they've also got this sort of um, separated lovers story. And so I, I think that that set it up to be really great in the end. And I I think that that was something I really enjoyed about it was having these pivotal emotional moments happening throughout the book. 
for this book specifically, you know, of all of the YA Star Wars books, I would say that this one is the one that's most firmly entrenched in the genre of YA um, Mm -hmm. and doesn't kind of in any way transcend that at all. I mean, this is very much a very traditional storyline of two people separated and then coming back together and realizing that they love each other. Um, and then a bunch of shenanigans happen, you know, that threaten to split them apart. But in the end, love triumphs. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much the story. <laughs> and I think that there's some parts, though, that feel very, like, more mature. But then the way that it's being told, especially toward the end, I feel like it does hit that point like you're saying with the like cheesy rom-com we've got to wrap this all up in a nice little bow yeah well and you know it's interesting because you know you have these two characters and i think separately they're that i don't know i feel like separately they're actually more interesting than maybe they are together because because you know jules is 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 on the planet uh of betu still and even though He's had the opportunity to leave. Something's always keeping him there. Um, and then Izzy is a character who, you know, has lost her parents and is trying to find her place in the universe and where that is. And I think those two stories are are interesting. And, it, and it's just them being together. They become, you know, like foils for each other. And But I would say, for the most part, it's it's... Once they get together, you know, it's really Izzy the one that has the most growth that happens. You know, I I wouldn't say Mm -hmm. Jules as a character does much growing. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Because, I mean, when you think about it, it's really always him doing whatever he needs to do to keep her and her learning from him and growing as a person and realizing what matters to her instead of just running away. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he doesn't change at all, which is good for him, but not great character development. (laughs) I mean, and I think part of that is that for him, you know, he's already a character who's a, who's a, who's a character is not really necessarily struggling with their identity at all. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and whereas, you know, Izzy is struggling with her identity. And for for Jules, he he grows in the sense that, you know, he is actually willing to leave Batu by the end. But it's because of Izzy, the thing that he's just been waiting for, basically, to come back. That's that's I mean, that there's no big secret. That's the reason he never left, because he always hoped that she'd come back. Um, right. And so, yeah, again, it's not really so much about him having a a movement forward, really. Um, it, it's just more about having that that thing that just unlocks the ability for him to leave, which is her. Mm-hmm. So, and it kept trying, like the author was trying to insert some growth moment for him or some struggle for him through that whole issue with his sister saying that he was going to go into the academy and then threw it all away for Izzy. Um, But it just still wasn't quite enough to really give him a lot going on. Um, It's like, okay, he had that one minor struggle. Now it's over. 
Yeah, I mean, in the end, he just kind of becomes the the person waiting for love, and it's it's not necessarily a super interesting story. You yeah, know? he's like, just and, the and, sappy one sitting around yes. going, "I hope she'll come back." Yes, exactly, and th- he's a good-hearted character too. There's not, and there's yes. nothing wrong with that. Um, I just think you know. There, there isn't a lot of, of place for him to grow. But whereas, you know, Izzy is is much more interesting because, you know, her whole storyline of it, it really comes down to this thing. And, and I lo- this is the part that I liked the most about the book was her struggle of do I am I a Lone Ranger or do I have a posse this is the way I kind of put it. Um, yeah. And so there's that real theme of her where, you know, she's been left alone in the universe and her mom kind of taught her basically that you can really truly only rely on yourself and it's read to a really lonely life for her and by her finding herself back on Batu with Jules she realizes that the 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 longing and desire of her heart is to be known and loved and be part of of a community uh, mm-hmm. And to me, that was the strongest thing about this book is is the whole message of the book seems to be that, like, our lives are so much better in community than they are just by ourselves. And that's a really great message. Yeah, I actually I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't think about that as a key point of the book. Um, I think because it was so woven into everything, it didn't stand out on its own to me as a theme. But I'm glad you said that because it. That is true. She constantly goes back and forth with that struggle about, do I want to have my own ship and just know that I can take care of myself and I don't have to worry about anybody messing things up for me? Or do I want to follow my heart and go somewhere where there are still people that care about me and rebuild a community? Um, And I think, too, it's sad that you see she was kind of trying to do that with the group with Anatola and Damar um, and then it all goes down the tubes because they're not good people yeah and I mean you kind of see one of the reasons that that you know she feels so unsure about her decision uh, and whether or not you know she could truly ever stay with Jules and be on Batu, you know is is because she spent a whole life around people like that you know um, mm-hmm. And I really, I one of the the quotes that most kind of st- sticks out to me in the book, and it's it, I used it in the review because I just thought it was really good. Is Jules says to her, he says, you know, I know the galaxy will never be big enough to fill the emptiness in your heart, Izzy, because you don't want it to. You want to keep running because you don't know what you'd have to do if you had to stop. And you know, I I feel mm-hmm. like th- there's such a beauty in that truth of like there's. There's so many people in this world, and I think many of us have kind of even experienced this, where like we're afraid of stopping because then we'd have to look at ourselves and we wouldn't like what we'd see in the mirror when we do. Right. And that's kind of the story we get for Izzy is that she doesn't necessarily like who she's become or who she might uh, turn into. Um, if if she continues down the path that she's actually on, because what we learn too about her and her parents is her mom was actually a bounty hunter, right? When she just thought she was a smuggler, <laughs> right? Um, and so I I think there's um, there's a she's a she has the opportunity in this book to turn into her mother, and 
there is that struggle of do I continue down that road, which will lead to nothing but, you know, loneliness um, and possibly an early death? Um, or do mm-hmm. I turn my life around and like live it for other people and not just myself? And, I, you know, that's a that's the struggle, obviously, you know, that's the Han Solo story, right? You know, do mm-hmm. I live for myself or do I live for others? And, you know, it's funny that you say that because immediately when they were giving these descriptions of Jules and of Izzy, I thought Izzy seems a lot like Han Solo and that Jules seems a lot like Luke Skywalker. That's <laughs> so true. Luke and Han are in a relationship now. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, no, but you're you're absolutely right. You know, you have uh, the, and it and it. Because he's a farm boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And except, except that, you know, you know, Jules isn't necessarily longing for adventure. He's just longing for love. And mm-hmm. um, he finds it, adventure and romance along the way, you know. <laughs> it, <laughs> but he never left. So he's uh, yeah. more of a wuss than Luke Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and there's all these talk of like spires and everything. It just made me think of the old movie Romancing the Stone. Um so, oh, it's such a good movie. Yeah. And that, I think that's the thing uh, that's, that's so interesting about the, the book. And, and, and I, I think that's the thing that I, which maybe respond to this part, because this theme is really strong um, with Izzy. And I think that's the part of the story that's it's, it's most interesting is she truly does. Her character really struggles with this. And she has a very hard time with the 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 process of choosing whether or not she should stay. But and part of that is too, she just doesn't feel good enough. You know, she feels like mm-hmm. she's not going to ever be good enough for Jules. She she feels like she might ruin his life. You know, her uh, Jules' sister even makes uh, her promise that if she ever leaves, that she won't come back because the type of personality that she has might be somebody who just continues running forever and just breaks Jules heart. And so mm-hmm. um, she has to make that decision. And, and, and really it's the strongest part I think of the entire book. And from that too, a theme that I got when in seeing Izzy's struggles was that issue of when you're in love with someone that the beginning of telling them that you love them or trying to start a relationship is a leap of faith. And she's having all these questions in her own mind. And then also with Jules saying, well, what if suddenly you decide that you don't want to be with me anymore? Or what if you decide that I'm not good enough and um, you find somebody else or whatever, you know, all these doubts and that the story is teaching her that, at some point you just have to have faith in the person that they're going to stick by your side. Yeah. I mean, and that's a really good point because, you know, choosing to, to love somebody and have somebody love you back. It's not as though somebody's never going to hurt you, you know, it's right. not, as, you know, we uh, all make mistakes. Anybody's yeah. Perfect. And so, you know, there's, there's that struggle. And I think the the story does a, as good a job as it can in this medium of with Izzy kind of trying to make the story as I guess more realistic as possible and the and the the true struggles that come from 
choosing to love somebody, especially a character like Izzy, who, you know, again, her parents are gone. Um, her her father and her were very close, but her mother and her were never as super close. And, you know, her mother's lessons to her were all about, you know, just taking care of yourself, basically. And so when you have those constraints, contrasting views that each even had from her own parents about how life is supposed to be lived. It's no wonder that she's kind of like screwed up, you know, and, mm-hmm. and having such a hard time figuring out how to, to live her life. And, and it is in the, e- in the end, it's easier to choose to live outside of community because then you're only looking at yourself um, and you right. don't have to worry about anybody else. But it's also the one that leads to loneliness and 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 frustration, and you know, you end up with people who just, um, you know, end up wanting to, uh, you know, commit suicide or whatnot because because they have they they don't have what life is all about, which is relationships with other people, you know, being in, mm-hmm. in community, being there to help each other, you know, which is, you know, the storyline that we really see. Then um, on the other side, which is uh, the fact that everybody comes together and uh, all of these other characters in Black Spire come together to help out, you know, Jules and his sister, Bellin, and their farm because mm-hmm. of the relationships that they have, you know. And right. so, yeah, and that, you know, which is the opposite of, of what, you know, would have happened with Izzy's because nobody would have come for her because she didn't have anybody else on her side until she came back to Batu. Right. And and they show a couple of times, especially with, um, oh gosh, who was the, Volt was the mm-hmm. guy's name that owned like the pet store. Yeah. Especially in his relationship with Izzy versus Jules, it says, you know, when Izzy needs his help. He's kind of questioning the situation. And then when she says, no, it's for Jules, he's like, oh, well, I'll get my rifle right now. And it's exactly what you're saying. He's built that relationship over time of knowing Jules that he's willing to go to bat for him. But with Izzy, he's like, I don't know you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and it's all about the relationships. And those relationships aren't just... um, you know, transactional relationships. Those are relationships mm-hmm. that are built on on true friendships and sacrifice and 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 all of those type of things, um, which which make a true community. And so, yeah, that I think that's again, it's just the it's the strongest part of the novel. Now, I would say I'm interested in in your thoughts, kind of about the rest of the story, because you know we're set here in the Star Wars universe, and you know this is set on Batu. But what did you think of kind of about the larger story um, other than, oh, we're making it a delivery and then it turns into a weird heist and then it turns into a yeah. strange like oak battle at a ranch? Yeah, it. Uh, I felt like the action sequences were very muddled. <laughs> Which I think is what you were saying, too, that it, you know, it feels like it starts off with Izzy separating from her smuggling posse with Anatola and um, Damar unwillingly because Damar says, oh, yeah, you're not coming. Bye. Um, But then she goes off on her own job and ends up back on Betu to make a delivery and collect payment for it. 
And then all these things go awry that mess up that delivery. And then somehow, exactly like you said, she gets into this back and forth with Jules, which is like the main story. But then they get captured and (laughs) they have a, a heist. And then all of his friends have to come bail them out. And there's a fight with lots of blasters and rifles at some point. Yeah. And I think part of what you just described is the one of the biggest issues I have with the novel is that, you know, one of the reasons for reading Star Wars expanded universe stories is that they have kind of some sort of impact on the general Star Wars universe. Like you're reading the story because it's going to add something to your experience then of watching, you know, right. Um, and it One feels like stories. it doesn't add anything. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. I mean, it, literally, this story does nothing for anything in the Star Wars universe other than the fa- other than if you visit Galaxy's Edge, which even then, I can't imagine myself really thinking about this book whatsoever while I'm at Galaxy's Edge. You mean you won't walk in there and go, oh, this must have been where Izzy and Jules reunited? <laughs> no. <laughs> and I think that's really frustrating because I, I would say, yeah. you know, most of this story feels like kind of a generic sci-fi story with a Western town twist. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily feel like a star. Like it, there's nothing in here really that feels like it has to be Star Wars. Like this could be any frontier town on, a, you know, a planet. There's there's just nothing that really truly makes this Star Wars. And, and I think kind of going all the way back to the beginning galaxy's edge is not part of star wars uh in the in the sense of like it really being a thing yet because it hasn't been on screen and Mm -hmm. so um and so because i would say a majority of people that are reading this haven't been to galaxy's edge they haven't seen it on screen and they don't know these characters you put all of that together it doesn't necessarily make it feel like a Star Wars book other than the fact that you use some Star Wars words every once in a while, like blasters right. or, you know, droid or, you know, um, that kind of stuff. It, yeah, it, it, the only ties that I felt like it had toward the rest of the Star Wars universe was, like you're saying, like the name dropping, which actually kind of got annoying because it felt like they're trying too hard to make it fit in. Um, and then the mention... Uh, a couple of times of the First Order Stormtroopers, um, and then the one time where uh, a delivery ended up being Izzy and Jules meeting up with two people that are part of the Resistance, and it was like a secret meetup. That was cute. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just these little moments here and there, uh, and otherwise the rest of the story felt like it was really more of just a romance, and it could be reskinned i guess is a, a good word for what i'm trying to say as something else like it made me think of firefly if you've ever seen like the joss whedon shows yeah yeah um so yeah i think more of a western and a romance than it is a star wars story yeah i think that's a great point that uh, the idea of just it could be reskinned you know because that's exactly you know you think about you know they do that with video games all the time you know they mm-hmm. they just uh, put a new skin on it and it's like oh you got a new batman game you know uh, or it's you know oh it's uh, assassin's creed you know like it, it you can do that all the time and and just change a few things and you're like oh you're in a different universe 
but really it's just the same game mechanics and everything else. And yeah, I think, you know, it was frustrating because the story is, uh, the connections with the Star Wars universe are tangential at best. And Mm -hmm. yes, there's some First Order stormtroopers there and the Resistance presence, but it's so minor that I just, I don't care. And and it's weird because this book takes place after the destruction of Hosni and Prime and The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. So there's major things that have happened in the Star Wars universe, and yet I don't ever feel like any of those things have happened in this universe. Right. Maybe Batu is just too far away to be really affected by that, but I feel like that throws the entire galaxy into whack when the entire Republic has been destroyed. And, you know, I yeah. So I think that was really the thing I just was really struggling with with this book is like, the characters are cute. The storyline is cute, but I don't read Star. I don't personally read Star Wars books, and this is just my personal thing to just get cute stories. Like I read them because I want them to add something to the larger Star Wars universe. And to me, mm-hmm. in the end, a crash of fate doesn't add anything to the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I'm right there with you, and and I felt that too, even with. All of the new characters, I felt like it was almost too many new characters that they're then trying to add in just in this one book that you're just trying to keep up with what all their names are, what all their species are, and then also the plot. And it was a Mm -hmm. lot to try and squeeze in that they didn't have to. Well, and that's another thing, too, is like you, you have all these species and there are a lot of species that... I don't remember what they look like in Star Wars, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because they may have been on screen, but I don't, I, I'm not an an alien expert. I'm just not, okay? You're not? I don't spend my time, you know, going over uh, Star Wars alien guides and stuff just constantly so I can remember what all these aliens look like. So yeah. I feel like Star Wars authors need to start kind of finding a way to quickly describe different aliens so you can remember what they look like. So I don't have to stop every time and just go to Wikipedia or look it up in, you know, the alien guide I have on my shelf. You know, that's really frustrating. And just mm-hmm. assuming that I remember what they look like when it could be the most inconsequential alien in the back of the screen on, on screen for like three seconds, but they're using that alien, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, like the number one species that they men- mention the most in this book is Ithorian. Because Doc Ondar is supposed to be a Thorian. But it, you don't really remember what they look like unless maybe you've watched like some of the kids episodes of Clone Wars where, you know, there's an Athorian that this is going to get his kyber crystal. Um, or when you really pay attention in the, you know, main saga films. Um, but yeah, like otherwise you would go, okay, what's a Thorian? So like in my yeah. head, I think kind of like a hammerhead shark. But yeah, you would need some kind of quick description. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, and I, I just think it's it's not just a problem with this book. It it's something throughout all of of the uh, the new canon Star Wars books that it, it, they've almost all of them have been guilty of this. So, um, I am really interested. So, uh, for you, kind of um, coming down to the ratings here with uh, Crash of Fate, uh, how? How did this one, you know, rate for you? So 
I will say there were a, a couple of other things that were some dislikes for me. Um, I felt like the naming convention used in the book for several of the characters, in particular with Izzy, um, was too real life and not as fantasy based in the naming. So, for example, having her have a last name is fine, but it being Garcia didn't feel as creative and as rooted in Star Wars as something like Skywalker or Ghana. I mean, even though like Poe's last name is Dameron, which seems a little more everyday, it sounds a little more unique than just like Smith. <laughs> so I, the her name being uh, Izel Garcia bothered me a little bit, but I loved her first name. Um, and then I also felt like there were these other thrown in things that would be more realistic and not as fantasy based, like saying there was a DJ or uh, instead of a band, or that there were drinks called a fuzzy tauntaun. And I'm like, eh, it's two seconds away from being a fuzzy navel, which is a real thing. <laughs> so those kind of things bothered me because you want this to be a fantasy, you want it to be a, a Star Wars book, it's got to have some more um, unrealistic creative naming than that. Um, so it, that was the other thing that really bothered me. But otherwise, I think in general, like we said, it's cute, but it's more of a romance than anything else in it. And it doesn't really add anything new to the Star Wars lore or that you'll take with you when you visit the park. It felt like it was a lot of name dropping. So I, I guess I should give my number, though. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I give it a five out of ten glasses of green milk. I think I think coming into this book, it, there's I feel bad for a crash of fate because the story uh, here has to live up to all of the other really great YA books that we've gotten. So, you know, mm -hmm. Lost Stars really set the template. Um, you've had books like uh, Most Wanted, Rebel Rising, um, you know, uh, Ahsoka. You've had these books that have really taken the genre, and they have been firmly rooted in that genre, but they've found a way to completely transcend that genre as well to tell really good Star Wars stories, some of the b better Star Wars stories that we've had, you know, in new mm -hmm. canon. Um, and so when those books have been able to do that, and I've seen the way that they can, you when I get to a book like this... I'm just disappointed because I'm used to these books being being better. Um, yeah. And, and so, one, uh, having more of an impact on this, the storytelling of Star Wars itself so that when I go back and watch one of the films or something, I feel really connected with that more or I see it in a different way. Um, you know, especially think of uh, what uh, Most Wanted did for Solo and his character along with Kira and her character. Fantastic. The same thing for Rebel Rising with Jin. I I see Jin in a, in a not just a new light, but I mean it, uh, a brighter light because of that book. You know things like that. So, and and I even think about what's coming up with Black Spire, and and you know that book immediately has a draw for me because Vimeretti from Phasma is in that book now. Um, she's oh, nice. the lead character in that book and Cardinal's back too. Um, so two characters that I already know that are connected with the character of Phasma uh, and things that are going on there, you know, give me a, a better connection. 
there's only that very slight connection between the First Order and the Resistance here with the delivery they make, and that's it. And so, you know, really this book, it didn't really f- necessarily fulfill its its role in making me want to visit Batu more in Black Spire, um, and it didn't fulfill its role necessarily in being a, a really great Star Wars story. Um, but it's cute. I got there's a good theme with the story with Izzy. Uh, and it's not like I don't like the characters or anything. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I'm right there. I think with you too, where this is, I would say I would be generous and it's three out of five, but it's barely, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and that's part because it's not a bad story. It's just not a, I wouldn't say it's a great star Wars story. And that's the frustrating part about it. Is because, you know, I go to these books wanting a great Star Wars story. So, um, yeah. So that's where we are with A Crash of Fate. Uh, now with our brand new segment that we just instituted last week. Uh, Christy, do you have a recommendation to watch and or read? Or do you have a recommendation recommendation for people not to watch or read this week? Uh, I have another recommendation of something to watch uh, and actually, you may have seen a couple of pictures on my Instagram lately. Uh, I've gotten into playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I saw and, that. And uh, yeah, and I uh, so we're playing Fifth Edition, and uh, my husband's actually DMing the game. Um, but it uh, the thing that really helped with my understanding of it was watching Critical Role on YouTube, which he got me into. Um, and it's uh, a group of voice actors that uh, they just got together one day and decided to play a group game. And then it became something that they were broadcasting on YouTube and got bigger and bigger till they were owned by Geek and Sundry and doing a show every week and have now had going on for years. (laughs) Um, So I I highly suggest checking out Critical Role, R-O-L-E, on YouTube uh, if you get a chance. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, what a great way to to be able to get into that because then you can... Uh, there you're having voice actors do it too that's got to be fun um, oh yeah and because yeah. if you know anything about D as well it's a lot of imagination and uh, you know you can always give your character a unique voice or accent if you want so voice actors doing it is like perfect <laughs> i mean just ask bruce gibson about his character so um my recommendation is is that my wife and i went to the the theater this last weekend and we saw a movie called blinded by the light and i would say it is possibly the best movie i've seen this year uh it was the most uplifting the most enjoyable and it is the story of a young uh teenage pakistani boy in 80s britain who is struggling with growing up uh, in this culture, um, with his with his own self, and latches on because of a gift from a friend of his at school, the music of Bruce Springsteen, and it's a true story. Uh, it's based on a true story, and it is phenomenal. Um, you'll come out a Bruce Springsteen music fan, um, but it's just a really great story. I just I really fell in love with it. Um, it was one of those movies where you just watch and the whole time y- you can't 
it's just so affecting. And like, I just, I encourage anyone. I, I feel like this summer has been really lame for film. Um, but this is a movie that's worth seeking out. It's worth taking your your kids to, I think, that are a little bit older in that teenage area. You know, it, it's a great movie to be able to talk about some of the themes that they go through. I just highly encourage it. And it is a movie that celebrates the way in which music transcends culture uh, mm-hmm. and the way music can reach us when sometimes nothing else can. And I think we've all had that experience in life where you could probably name a band or an artist that had songs that really made a difference in your life. And this movie just captures that so, so perfectly. So yeah, that's my recommendation this week. Please go see blinded by the light. You will not be disappointed. So yeah. Um, love that we're doing this. Cause this is fun. Cause then we get to tell people like things we might never talk about necessarily on the show. Um, but, uh, right. yeah, our goal is just to find things that we were really liking and, and or hating. not liking, you know, um, <laughs> keep you from watching or reading something or, you know, so, uh, but Christy, if anybody wants to catch up with you online, cause I know you've got lots else going on too. Uh, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And then, of course, in the Babel Conference. And uh, when I'm not on the 602 Club every week with Matt, I also do a show every other week with my friend Teresa Delgado called Sabres and Spells on the Skynet Network. Uh, and that is where we talk about pretty much anything um, to do with Star Wars, Harry Potter, um, recently you talked about Stranger Things. We're covering Umbrella Academy. Um, so all kinds of good things over there. Uh, and then also I do a show once a month on the Fanta Tracks Network, uh, which finally launched called Planet Leia, where it's a point of view from women all around the world on Star Wars. Um, and then also once a month I do a five-minute show on the Star Wars report called Fashion in Five about men's and women's Star Wars fashion. And then uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Pharaoh under all the same name, MattRushing02. You can find me here on the network. Uh, When we get an opportunity to record an episode, you'll find me doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, I do two shows over on the Nerd Party Network. One is called Owlpost. I do that with Drea Kaufman, and that's all about Harry Potter. We're doing one chapter at a time. We're actually almost done. We only have two chapters left as the recording of this uh, episode of The Order of the Phoenix. So it's been a lot of fun. So check that out. I'm doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills. Every week we talk about a new Star Wars topic that we're thinking about. We just recently talked about um, just alien cultures, which is a lot of fun. Just kind of going back to all the the things we've learned from the movies and TV shows about different alien cultures. And then uh, last but not least, I do a show called Cinema Stories. And I do that with my friend Courtney. And that is where we talk about films, but through the ones of faith. But... Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 